He said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. What's going on? What's happening? What is going down in your area? Profane faith in the house, in the house, in the place to be. This is your boy, Dan White Hodge. How y'all doing out there, podcasters, podcast listeners? faithful folks out there man here we are season three episode two going in oh my gosh um wow crazy stuff right man uh (laughs) another week another week um and uh the first thing i want to say is and i know this is kind of cliche and i'm sure it's just uh, a relic of my generation but i gotta say it anyway (laughs) um if you're not registered to vote get out and vote and i ain't even going to try to be like partisan or anything like that man we got to vote most of these gop mofos out (laughs) i'm just gonna be straight up um don't get me wrong i'm not that big a fan of of a lot of democrats i think democrats right now are you know in this whole talk about you know the 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 uh the left the religious left i mean come on man i mean don't get me wrong i think the left has we have our issues and we have to own those. And one of the things the right does well is galvanize around issues, particularly as it pertains to, you know, pro-life and uh, abortion and, uh, you know, gay marriage and all that stuff. Like, right. Those, 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 those two, those particularly those two issues are big. Right. And then, of course, you know, Second Amendment, gun ownership, all that stuff connects back with that. And so they're able to galvanize with that. And I think on the left, you know, we we don't necessarily have things that we galvanize around other than maybe like inequality um anyways that's a whole nother conversation and a whole nother podcast but the point of the matter is is that we got to vote um and i know i know there's some folks out there who are just like yo man voting doesn't help it doesn't do anything um i at this point in our juncture with where we're at as a society i don't necessarily know if i would completely agree with that i mean yes i think one vote in a pot of you know ten thousand, but when you have ten thousand coming out and and folks and and you know and and if the vote didn't matter, why is the right going to extreme measures to block the vote? Okay, why is the right going to extreme calculations to create laws right to undercut um, the right to vote, particularly for people of color? So if it didn't matter, okay. The right wouldn't be paying so much attention to it. Um, so uh, I would get out there, get out. Even if you're on the bench, you've been on the bench and oh man, I don't know all the issues, man. Get one of them guides that your state or your area puts out. I know when I was in California, we used to get this little thick thing and sure it had some biases in it and everything, but nevertheless, read it, just <laughs> glance over it. And here's the thing, check out who your, um, who your candidates are, see who they, see what they about, um, 
but and, and you know, and, and again, voting, and I'll say this, voting isn't the end all be all either, but it is a start. Um, I, in my time, since I've turned 18, uh, way back in the day, um, I've only missed like two, um, elections and only because I had moved and I just didn't get my stuff in on time. So vote y'all. I, for me, it, you know, it's, it's a social construct. It is, I look at it as uh, part of it is this, is the fact that I know I stand on the shoulders of elders who died to vote, um, who died, trying to get to, to to a future where you know where, where particularly us as people of color can vote and so i'm out there voting um and you know we're in a time where we're in binary um and, and what i mean by that is it's good and bad i mean the stuff that's going on with this administration is evil straight up straight up straight up it's, it's beyond policies it's beyond this is when you have kids that are a being adopted out without parents consent who are being shipped around without parents consent who are increasing in numbers in these internment camps because that's what they are okay when you have these things going on right it, we we are we're, we're we're at a bad place um and i think broderick greer said it the best he put this in a tweet uh this week and he said you know of any of the gop or anybody who claims to be conservative and republican who's still following trump you are showing your true colors and i'm really there with that and don't get me wrong i have critiques i mean i think what elizabeth warren was trying to do with the whole like you know come out with native america i'm like dude just stop stop Quit putting your foot in your damn mouth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, stop. Have you even talked to Native Americans? Have you even talked to people who are from, you know, native to this to this continent? Stop. Just stop. <laughs> um, so yeah, folks. I mean, I think um, yeah, we we're in a world of hurt. So vote. <laughs> Just register to vote. Get out there. Uh ballot. I'm voting. Um I, I, if I could tell I'm gonna take my daughter. She can't vote, obviously, but um she you know, she's gonna come with me. She comes with me to just about every election. Um and I have my candidates, um, but I can tell you this, I, I wanna make sure uh, you know, I wanna make sure I wanna do my part in making sure as much as I can within my power uh, that I can help what is going on in Washington um, as a middle class uh, black man, Mexican-American, African-American, ethnically uh, that I can do in this country. So and I just got to, you know, I just got to put that out there, y'all. Um, man, yo, I got an amazing guest. I'm going to introduce her here and we have an amazing conversation. But uh, did y'all catch <laughs> did y'all catch this study? that was just put out um uh, daniel jose camacho just tweeted about it um and it's uh, put out by christianity today the total the title is uh, why evangelicals voted for trump debunking the 81 percent i mean there's so much wrong with this study <laughs> first of all it's funded by lifeway um so if you don't know lifeway lifeway is, is extremely conservative i've had my run-ins with them it's extremely conservative right-wing uh big supporter of trump uh, um, uh, ministry organization, if you can even call it that. Um, and you know, they're, they're one of the funders along with Wheaton, the Billy Graham, uh, center out at Wheaton college, which we know Wheaton, <laughs> come on, doc Hawk, need I say more? Um, so right off the bat right now, if Lily had funded this or, um, something out of the Ford foundation or even something out of the Pritzker foundation here in, uh, here in Chicago, I would have kind of been like, okay, let me legitimize this a little bit and let me see a little bit more of what's going on. But, <laughs> oh man, 
Um, Daniel Jose Camacho, I'm going to post this. This uh, I'm going to post his his comments on this because I'm I'm drawing from from his because I totally agree with his analysis of this um, and uh, this 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 study. Uh, as a researcher, um, I I look at you have to ask. There are certain questions you have to ask. You know, right? There's there's policy. There's demographics. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There is um, aspects about why certain people vote. And for me. I'm a, so just so you know, as an academic, I'm a qualitative researcher. Qualitative means like interviewing, you know, uh, focus groups, case studies, stuff like that. Uh, quantitative, right? Statistics and all that. I can do that, but that's not my first primary way of engaging with academics. If you've read any of my um, work, if you've read any of my research, you know, I'm highly into qualitative. I want to tell the story by what people are saying. So, yes, have some statistics. Yes, have some studies and, and have a demographic, you know, get your get your sample, get your standard deviation, right? Get your T-tests. But for me, I also want to know the story. So this doesn't even take that into account. This is sheer statistics, sheer just numbers funded by a right wing funding source. All right. So right just right off the bat, that's problematic. Daniel writes, uh, this is amazing. This, this study claims to debunk the 81% and explain why evangelicals voted for Trump. But according to the study's methodology, it lumps all evangelicals together and doesn't even separate by race. So the findings aren't about white evangelicals, right? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, and there's other stuff. PRRI puts out some good stuff. If you haven't checked out their material, PRRI.org, they have some great work that's put out there. Pew Research that has some has some amazing stuff. Um, the American Religious Identification Survey. So these are a little these are a little bit more bipartisan engagement with research and with what religious individuals think. So these are some of the studies that I go to and that I lean up against. And then I will say, I put, I can put my money behind that. Okay. Because then they also follow up with qualitative. Yay. Qualitative. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and Daniel goes on to say, I just find it quite astounding that a study aiming to understand why evangelicals voted for Trump includes zero measures. Get this, this, and this is part of it related to racism and xenophobia. This is not rocket science, and we don't know how to ask questions related to racism. It's not a legit excuse. It straight up isn't. I mean, as I'm looking at the study on Christianity Today, I'm like, Yo, what What the hell y'all thinking of there? But I know, I know where it's going, right? This is kind of this research now that's emerging, tired, trying to debunk, you know, what the left-wing media is, is saying. Um, and here's the thing. I teach media studies. I tell my students straight up. There is no left-wing uh, media. And really, there's no right-wing media. Media is just media. They're trying to get ratings, okay? And most people don't even know the difference between legit journalism and opinion news, right? Let me give you an example. Um, Sean Hannity that is news opinion okay that's news opinion um even is is my i like trevor noah right but that is news opinion okay that is opinionated news we've got some comedy involved with it we got some some so some facts with that as well but it's opinionated news it's like an op-ed piece i like op-ed pieces they're great but if you really just want to get facts if you just really want to get some knowledge you got to go to just straight like here it is journalism and what that looks like so i'm just putting that out there i'm just saying um so for this study to come out and say that yo <laughs> oh man there's just there's i'm sorry there's just there's just too many things wrong with with it and um but i get it it's the narrative that 
you know, white evangelicals, one, don't necessarily see race. And it was bigger than that. Trump is their man because he is the man who's saving America, you know, from this devilish left wing uh, folks and stuff, man. So look, here's the thing. Read it for yourself. I'll post these all in the links. You know, you go check it for yourself. I ain't, I ain't trying to hide anything. I'm just saying as a researcher, this is this is this is not getting to the real issue the real issue is is that white evangelical voters particularly the 81 percent who did vote right were straight up voting because we just had eight years of a nigga in the damn oval office all right straight up 100 percent and PRI talks about that Pew research talks about it. i mean there is there are studies out there that talk about this and they get at it. You can't just overlook the race question, especially not with the identity politics that this administration is playing on a daily, if not moment by moment uh, uh, basis. So go check it out. Check it out. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, um, you know, it's it, like I said, it's, it's the study itself doesn't necessarily uh, get into, again, race, the issue of race, but it also doesn't get into the issue of class. Um, doesn't talk about uh, xenophobia, homophobia. Doesn't talk about uh, how folks felt about certain uh, certain ethnic groups coming. Because remember, immigration is a color. It has nothing to do with, for example, Eastern Europeans, uh, folks who were coming over from uh, uh, Russia, folks who were coming over from countries considered to be white. Okay, doesn't get into any of that. We're talking. When we talk about immigration. Immigration is pr primarily about Latinx peoples. Um, and you know, that for me is just did that the bullshit just straight up. I'm calling bullshit. So this whole study is just whack as a researcher. I'm just like, come on, man, this, this is, but it, but it supports that narrative. It supports the narrative that many white evangelical conservative evangelicals want to believe. And they want to cling on to about this idea that Trump is bigger than just race and, and this and that. And I'm like, I, I haven't seen it. I have yet to seen it. And particularly with the amount of debt that we are incurring now as a nation, right? And here come the midterms. Oh my gosh, Dr. Andre Johnson talked about this, right? It's like, we're gonna do all these tax cuts and everything and people gonna be all happy around tax time. But the reality of it is, <laughs> right, is that we're, hey, we're increasing debt and now the GOP is gonna come back and say, hey, to cut this debt, we gotta cut entitlement programs. Oh, y'all, we, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this rhetoric, Oh my goodness, we, we're in a world of mess. So, you know, I realize one podcast ain't gonna change much, but I gotta put it out there. It's profane faith, y'all. <laughs> this is profane faith. So check that study out. Tell me what you think. Um, you know, I do have comments. You go to whitehodgepodcast.com uh, or if you go to whitehodge.com, there's, you know, a little uh, a, a little thing that you can fill out. Just contact, you know, drop us a line and see what's up, man. Or, you know, you can just tweet me directly, man. You know, I'm on Twitter. Uh, there's at profane faith, uh, at Dan White Hodge those are my um my my public handles i do have some private accounts but you know you gotta you gotta look for a brother <laughs> doing all that um but yeah man this is this is this is some interesting stuff and i just think the continued rhetoric that's coming from the the right in regards to religion and how this country is you know turning back to god and everything i'm just like man this is this is some uh this is some nebuchadnezzar type shit man you know um this this golden image of uh, of of Trump is has been created. This golden calf of Trump. It's like you know we've sold out. And 
I just had a great conversation. So next week's episode. So this week's episode, uh, I have an amazing guest. I'm going to introduce her in a minute. I promise. <laughs> but next week's episode uh, is I had an amazing conversation with uh, the great uh, Lisa Sharon Harper. And uh, we, we actually go in on all this. So I don't want to spoil that conversation because we talk about Kavanaugh. Uh, we talk about Roe v. Wade. We talk about Brown versus Board of Education. I mean, we go in because she she has some amazing history uh, that connects to all of this. And so um, part of it is I'm just coming off the high off of that conversation. <laughs> so um, but that's next week. So I don't want to spoil anything um, in regards to that. So be on the lookout. Profane Faith is in full effect. I'm trying to bring you all some amazing thought leaders and thinkers uh, and particularly folks that, you know, don't always necessarily get the mic. I mean, I know uh, Lisa gets the mic a lot, but she's got a lot of great stuff to say and she's got a great movement. So that'll be uh, like I said, that'll be next week. Um, and again, in the news, I mean, did you, I mean, did you hear about the Saudi brother, you know, that got cut up? I mean, and, you know, they got. I mean, when you have multiple people show up with bone cutting stuff, I mean, this is like stuff out of a Hollywood movie, y'all. I mean, this is, I mean, seriously, I, I'm not gonna lie. I was, I was talking with my students yesterday about this. I was, I was, I was, I saw the headlines and you know, you know, Hollywood, they've, you know, they, they'll create websites that are like fictional, but they pertain to the movie. Like I remember when 2012 came out, they had a whole website. Uh, it was, um, what was his name? Uh, Oh, the guy from Cheers. He played Woody Harrelson. <laughs> there we go. He was uh, he was supposed to be this conspiracy theorist. So they created this whole YouTube site with him and talking about, you know, the end of the world. It meant it got it was so realistic that it actually caused people. This was right around 2012. It caused people to actually two people, I think, that I believe uh, committed suicide as a result of that. So that's how realistic it was. You know, they thought, oh, my gosh, this is this is real. This is happening. The world's going to end in 2012. Um, and uh, so I actually thought it was something like that. But then to find out that this is the truth, this is this is this is for real, man. You know, and then you got Trump just denying it. And you know, one of the headlines that came up in my DM yesterday was, um, "Oh, Trump says you know this guy's probably dead." Oh, uh, you think so? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah, man. Um, yeah, I I am I you know I'm continued to be uh, speechless uh, on, on certain things. I am I am. Here's this. This is some some ray of. I don't know if I want to use the word hope, um, but I will use uh, uplifting. I will say it's at least a, a bit encouraging. So, you know, the church I attend, LaSalle Street Community Church in Chicago, um, is uh, we're on a whole race and equity uh, campaign. You know, and as a person of color, I'll be honest, we've been a part of these conversations, right, so many times, right? It's like white folks who want to get it, but they don't get it, or white folks who run a church and they want to be diverse, and so let's have all these conversations that don't go any freaking place. Um, so that was, you know, I and I said that, <laughs> right? I said that as we were, you know, we kind of did some of these, uh, some of the pre-workshops or whatever before this, and, you know, congregation showing up, and I was like, I'm just not... I, you know, I, this is cool. I'm up here. You asked, I'm going to come up, but I'm not, you know, I'm not happy. So it, all that to say, I know that sounds like <laughs> negative right now, but my point being is, is that I'm encouraged because at least we're trying to put some meat on the bones. And as we're flying this plane that isn't even built, we're at least trying to put some structures, um, on there. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful that we're having some really difficult conversations, uh, so much so that it's causing people, particularly white folks, to get very uncomfortable um, about race, God, religion, 
and our own, right? Uh, our own prejudices, you know, that lie deep within. I mean, those unconscious biases and that those, those that dissonance starts to show up, that cognitive dissonance dissonance starts to show up. And it's a, it's a son of a bitch, man. It is. I mean, Victor Lewis said it the best on The Color of Fear, which you haven't seen. Go out and see The Color of Fear. He said it like this, for white people to understand racism, you're going to have to be really uncomfortable, really in a place where you are just disrupted. And I don't know if you can get that from where you're sitting. And I continue to say that, particularly for a lot of white folks, right? You know, particularly those, I'm speaking to all the allies now, like what, what is the uncomfort level, right? And, and, what, and, and then what is your, your level? Because that white snapback, right, comes. We'll go so far as white people, you know, but then it's just like, oh, damn, we're still talking about this because that's usually the thing, right? It's like, well, we're going to have the race conversation and OK, I know white people suck. It, then let's get let's get back to the real work. <laughs> right. Um, and so, I, yeah, I'm, I, I'll be I'll be definitely interested to see where we go with this. But it, it's, it's looking it's looking decent. Let me say that <laughs> it's looking decent as we as we go forth. Um and many of you know, um, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this for life in terms of the movement and all that stuff, but I am not very hopeful um, of, I will say easily the next two to three decades, especially now with, you know, two um, right wingers uh, in the Supreme Court, because even if you get Trump out tomorrow, impeach him or limit his powers or whatever, right? We still have at least three, two to three decades, at least two generations of Supreme Court uh, uh, screw ups that are sitting up in there um, that we have a, a lot to contend with. So I'm not very hopeful. I don't think the earth is going to end. I don't think the world's going to blow up. I'm not one of those end timers. But I do think there are aspects of Western society that could end. Right. Because the world didn't blow up when uh, when uh, Rome fell. The world didn't blow up when, you know, there were there were, uh, you know, massive killings of, of Native Americans. Right. But for those people, for those people, folks involved, it was the end of the world. So I am. Yeah, I am more and more convinced that, you know, it's it. Yeah, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Right. You remember last season? That was that was the kind of the, the one of the sayings that I had at the beginning, you know, the beginning, uh, uh, the intro. Right. Things are going to get worse before they get better. And, and, and it's the truth. I, I do. I do believe that. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I know there's some naysayers. I see you out there right now sitting. You're like, no, Dan, have hope. Have hope. I'll be honest. Most of those folks are evangelicals. A lot of folks who keep saying that are white folks. Uh, most of those folks who still want to believe in this kind of sunshine fairy tale about religion. Religion uh, has a lot of violent components to it. History has proven that. Um, religion and race uh, is problematic and complex uh, at best. So yeah, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong as it pertains to, you know, uh, race and religion and what we're going about to be going through over the next a few decades. I hope I hope things can get better. I, you know, I would hope, I hope that the world that my daughter is about to uh, uh, inherit is is not as bad as I think it is. But the reality of it is, is that, you know what? It's probably going to be really effed up, straight up. Um, so, you know, all I can do is do what I can do. Like Miguel, Dr. Miguel de la Torre says, he says, you know, maybe if all I can do is just throw some hammers and screwdrivers into the spoke wheels and, and, and screw things up. You know what? <laughs> Let me continue to do that. What does the theology of hopelessness look like? And that's one of the things that I'm personally working on and, and working through and, and kind of wrestling with, you know, hopelessness, but still moving forward. 
That's some crazy shit for you right there, right? <laughs> right? How do you, because th those things tend to not make sense in our theology. To be hopeful and moving forward in the Lord. Yeah, I'm moving forward in the Lord, but I ain't hopeful. You know, and I think that's a different theological paradigm. Um, yes, I do. I do fall into Afro-pessimism, so I'm with that. Um, I do like Afrofuturism as well. Um, and so with that in mind, theologically, how then do we engage? Right. And I think the Bible is filled with that. There is lament. There is. I mean, just read the Psalms. We always want to read, oh, Psalms 23, Psalms 120, 121. No, nigga, shoot. There's some shit up in there, man. That's David is complaining. He's like, dude, take my enemies out. Take them out. Take, kill those mofos. Take those, take their babies. And sorry, man, my cat. <laughs> That's Greta, y'all. Um, take them, take them babies and bash their heads against the rocks. Yeah. Yeah, that's in there. <laughs> that's in there. Woo, so that's some crazy shit, man. So, you know, and that's part, I think, what a colonized theology would do. It will cause you to have nothing but a hopeful outlook for everything. Even when people are getting shit on. It's like, well, let's just have hope, you know. At least the shit had corn in it, right? <laughs> you know what I hate? Yeah, you get some nutrients from that. <laughs> oh, man, we need some crazy times, y'all. All right, I'll stop. But I'm just saying... We, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Theology of hopelessness. I'm going to keep working on that. That's coming. This is what profane faith is about. This is what it is. We going in. Told you we going in. <laughs> All right. Let me get to my guest because she is the bomb.com. Esperanza Jean is a Detroit native of proud Latina and African-American descent. She lives in the intersection of art, activism, academia, and pastoral ministry. She received her B.A. in theology and B.A. in English, double major, y'all, uh, in English professional writing from Oakwood University and is currently completing two degrees, two master's degrees out at Fuller, an M.A. in theology and an M.A. in intercultural studies. For work, Esperanza is the project assistant for the Multicultural Youth Ministry at Fuller Youth Institute. There, she creates research-informed practical resources for African-American and Latino congregations. About time they, 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 they get some folks like that up in there. Well, they got Irene. And now they got Esperanza, so, oh man, watch out. Uh, in all things, she is deeply guided by practical theology that responds to social problems. Her priorities and passions include racial equity, social justice work, interdisciplinary research, faith and justice, reintegration, wellness and humanization, and of marginalized peoples through story. Woo! Yeah, that's right. Aside from her work, she's a foodie, a gym rat, hiker, and fashion lover with eternal wanderlust and even longer reading list. So you can find her out there, her writing at medium.com. Uh, she's on Twitter, bravely with, at bravely with, and at Esperanza Jean. I'll put all these in the show notes so you can follow her. This conversation I have with her is off the hook. And if you're wondering who Esperanza is, she's actually been on the show before indirectly. If you go back to season two and look at, um, a seminary while black she is the voice at the beginning and at the end of that uh that podcast yeah she was the one she's got some amazing stuff and so i had a chance to sit down with her and talk religion race adventism uh what that means in a trumpster era oh it's good stuff so without any further ado check her out i done hit record 
cool. Well, welcome back, folks, to Profane Faith. Here we are, season three, and I have an amazing guest with me. If you heard season two and you heard the one the episode on pod or not possible say podcasting while black, obviously, duh. But if you heard the the the, the episode with uh, Seminary while black. Uh, Esperanza is the voice at the beginning and at the end, and she's in right now to talk. Esperanza, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm I'm really hyped. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. I tell you what, when I first heard that and yo just response and like, man, going in on President Lambert, I was like, man, this 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 sister, she she got the she got the juice. This is what's yeah. up. <laughs> what um well i mean let's start like i start with every other guest what what has been your you know your journey thus far where are you where have you where where have you been since birth to now Ooh, that's so broad so many things yes. so much life yes. um um <laughs> is there anything uh else uh framing that question or a, a specific thing you want me to focus on? Sure. I mean, so, so how has it been to be, uh, you are bi-ethnic. Uh, you can talk about that. Um, just talk about the intersections of being a woman, uh, your faith background. How is that, you know, how's that informed where you're at now? Um, Got and, you. and, and, you know, and that you're, you're in seminary, you're finishing up, you know, degrees and all that good stuff. So yes. what is, how, how have you arrived to that? Does that make, does that make sense? Yes, yes, that makes sense. Beautiful. Just giving everybody a little bit of context about yes. me. Yes. Um. So first and foremost, your girl's a Detroit native. Proud oh, of it. All right. Okay. <laughs> um. Born and raised in Detroit. Um. My mom is Dominican. My dad is African American. So, um. I definitely identify as being mixed. I identify very strongly with both of those. Um, people groups and cultures and mm. languages. Spanish was my first language, not English. Yes. Um, all that good stuff. So that that's where I'm coming from. Um, I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. Um, I still identify with that denomination. I, how should I say, part of what's brought me to Fuller or part of what's made me very comfortable with being at Fuller is that while I am very comfortable with identifying with a particular denomination, because I, I don't take issue with labels. Um, mm -hmm. I don't feel confined by labels. I believe I inform what that label even means. Okay. People group has such a broad spectrum. Each denomination has such a broad spectrum of what it even includes, you know, um, in terms of beliefs and, and what have you. So the reason why I'm even so comfortable being at Fuller is because I have a very strong belief in um, <laughs> Christians not being against each other. Like mm. that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, I believe that labels are used for communication for the purpose of collaboration. Mm. If that's not what they're being used for, then we have a problem. So I'm really enjoying my time at Fuller in terms of um, being in a mixed, uh, denominationally mixed um, environment. It's very refreshing um, and and very interesting. I'm I'm learning a lot. Um, just how much how much we all have in common is really what I'm learning. Um, mm. But yeah, going beyond that, um, 
being being a woman, being a Latina woman, being an African American woman, um, which is a, a very different experience from being an Afro Latina mm. woman. That's yeah. that's a different um, identifier. Um, has been very interesting. I've had a lot of misunderstandings as someone who is a third culture kid, um, okay. for lack of a better phrase, um, which is one of the main things that's very different from being an Afro-Latina, like somebody who is completely um, of Latin American descent and has strong African phenotypes. Like that that's what that means. But for me, coming from two very different backgrounds, not a lot of misunderstandings because um, depending on who I'm around, people decide for themselves what I am. So I've had the, oh, you're not really black. You're the Spanish chick. Or I've had the girl, what you talking about? You confused. You just black. What you talking about this mixed stuff, you know? Mm. So everybody decides for themselves what I am. And then they decide culturally what they're expecting from me. And because I'm such a fusion, I've, I've had some, some conflicts where, I didn't even realize there was a miscommunication happening because I, let's say in a certain scenario, someone sees me as um, strictly African-American, but I'm communicating like a Dominican woman, but they don't realize that. So I'm breaking African-American rules, but I'm following Dominican rules. But Mm. in this conversation, that's not what's expected. And then all of a sudden something's popping off and I don't even know what went left. So it's been very interesting. Wow. A lot of fun because... Uh, both of my cultures have amazing food and great music and very deep, strong, beautiful histories. So it's a fun ride. Wow. That's uh wow. That's that's interesting. So you almost, I mean, you, you, you almost get Well, you're not almost you are getting into like, you know, sociolinguistics and sociocultural uh, language. I mean, stuff like you said, I mean, just the, the differences with that. I know with my own experience being half Mexican and half African-American, there's definitely been a, a strong bend, you know, towards african-american culture and it hasn't been but within the last decade that i know i've started to identify with my other half because i've found that like you said people they want to they want to you know categorize and put you put you in in different boxes and stuff so so how is and so talk to me then a little bit about you know just being seventh day Adventist. i mean i i grew up seventh day Adventist. i wish i had grown up in a context where there was that kind of openness and that kind of engagement. I, I was not in that type of environment. And so mm-hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit more um, about that. Like, you know, what was that like? And what was, you know, were people tripping me? Because I, I knew Oakwood. I Growing up, I knew Oakwood. Oh, I know Oakwood. Because that's what you went for undergrad, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to Oakwood for undergrad. HBCU, baby. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, absolutely. People were like grooming and, and dying me to, to to go out to, to Oakwood and stuff. And so... <laughs> Um, I know about that, but again, I mean, I don't know. Can, can you talk a little bit about that and just yet with that experience and what, and, and then how that looks, like you said, some of the, some of the interactions, uh, that you have, you know, at Fuller. Yeah, sure. Um, for me, I, I think I'm learning that I've had somewhat of a unique, it seems I could be wrong. I'm still learning. Um, it seems as though I've had somewhat of a unique experience when it comes to, um, Adventism, um, I think part of it is because uh, my parents are divorced. They've been divorced since I was like a baby. It's just how I grew up. And the reason why that's relevant is because when I would be with my mother, I would be at Latino Adventist Mm -hmm. churches. And then when I was with my father, I would be in African-American Adventist churches. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, So 
which are two totally different worlds. Right. It's like Saturn and <laughs> Jupiter. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. It's totally different worlds. And so, but that's just how I grew up. Like to me, that, that was my normal um, was experiencing variety within technically, you know, one group because technically it's all Adventist, but you have these different pockets that function so different yeah. within the same denomination. Um, and then even with my father, we went to different churches throughout my uh, childhood. We went to churches that were more um, traditional, like one of some of the like uh, churches in the city. Uh-huh. Um, so one of them being city temple um in detroit which is considered like one of our oldest um churches um in in that network but then after a time we actually started attending a church plant that my uncle started um um in in the metro detroit area wow and so yeah so between latino church african-american church traditional african-american church and then a church plant yeah. which was exploring and figuring itself out as it went. Man, I just, again, it was my normal, so I didn't realize it was so different, but I can definitely see now how that's really shaped uh, me um, and things I'm that I identify with now. So Latino church, extremely, extremely strict. I mm. mean, oh, extremely strict. Um, um, yeah. Ooh, I, I, I definitely have a lot of I have a lot of baggage when it comes to Adventist Latino culture. I do. I have to be honest. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The majority, the majority of my positive experiences have been in African-American um, Adventist churches. Um, and then there was a short period of time where my mother was going to um, because my stepfather speaks English, uh, was going to like a predominantly white. Adventist church that had like some Latino people. So they thought they were multicultural because there were like (laughs) 30 Latino people and two Africans. Yeah. Um, And that was the worst. Like I hated it. I hated it there. I felt uncomfortable in that church instantly. As soon as we walked through the door, like I just, uh, it was, it was very, it was just very restrictive. I just felt like I couldn't breathe. Like there was just a lot of pretense. It was very restrictive, at least in the Latino church. It was very strict. Yeah. People genuinely express their love and care for each other. There was a lot of affection, lots of, you know, so it kind of balanced it out. Um, but, um, and then, sorry, I'm jumping around here. I'm, again, ooh, so much information in my head trying to. No, you, you go. So let me know if I'm going too left or too right in terms of what I'm sharing. This is perfect. This is great. Okay, great, great. So, yeah, and then um, when I would be at church with my father, um, the uh, more traditional African-American church, you know, um, in terms of the music or, and even at the church plant, just full of music and a lot of, just a lot of artists. I didn't realize how many, I didn't realize how uncommon that was until I got older to grow up in a context where you have so many musical artists under one roof. Hmm. Um, and that's the kind of black churches that I predominantly grew up in. Okay. So, and, and I'm learning now that artists in general just tend to be more spiritually liberal in their thinking. 
Um, that's just, I'm an artist. That's just kind of how we are. We're a little more fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's what I grew up with, around. Like there was a mixed bag of some people who were more strict, but there was just a lot of room to me. There was a lot of room and grace of like, well, you need to study that for yourself. You need to figure that out for yourself. You need to develop your own opinion. Um, you know, you, there was a lot of my experience of Adventism was there was a lot of emphasis on studying the Bible for yourself, learning it for yourself, having a personal relationship and figuring out your own personal relationship while also in community. So like sharing with your community, you know, whether it's at what we call Sabbath school um, Mm -hmm. because we go to church on Saturday. So it's not Sunday school, it's Sabbath school. So, you know, whether it's sharing at Sabbath school or at potluck after church, you know, just talking about what's on your mind um, and, and what you're figuring out. And that was definitely further cultivated, not only at my HBCU, um, which I'm so thankful that I went to, even with the mixed bag of, of the good and, and, and the crazy, no matter where you go. <laughs> right. Um, but also I had the huge blessing because I, I don't come from a rich um, family. Um, both of my parents were the first in their family to get um, college degrees like that. That's the context I'm coming from. Mm hmm. So mm-hmm. I had the blessing of my last two years of high school going to actually a um, black Christian um, denominationally Adventist um, boarding school in Pennsylvania. It's like 30 minutes, maybe an hour outside of Philly, um, around there somewhere. And between that school and my HBCU, um, I was just exposed to a lot and at the same time encouraged to figure things out for myself. Okay. And I know some people didn't experience it that way. So I can't say that this is something that is a hundred percent consistent throughout the black Adventist experience. Like that wouldn't be accurate, but I'll say for me, the professors that gravitated towards me, the mentors that I had, the friends that I had, um, the way my social circle was set up, I was encouraged to figure things out on my own while also being exposed to different ideas and concepts. Um, and it was like exciting to like find something new in the Bible. You know, it was like, Oh, you, you just, you just learned this or you just figured that out. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You know, that was something that was respected and celebrated. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been interesting. Man, oh, I, absolutely. I mean, I shoot. Like I said, I, I wish I, I wish I had been a part of that type of experience. I think it would have been a lot different. Um, you know, for me, and you know, and turning out mm-hmm. and whatnot. Now, I mean, so going to Fuller, um, and you know, fast forwarding to you know, Seminary While Black, you got all the hashtags mm-hmm. coming out. How right. is you know what's what is what has been your experience with that? What's been your experience? You know, uh, thus far and and by the way what what program are you pursuing uh over there i am pursuing a dual i'm doing an ma in theology as well as an ma in intercultural studies okay all right man uh, that's what's up um it's yeah so what i mean how how did all that you know come about in regards to um just where you were at the talk the you know the protesting and, and all that and and you know and how you know how how's that been since uh, great question. Um, first, 
Yeah, come on. Oh my God. <laughs> Woo. First, I want to say your girl got bamboozled. Okay. That, that's number one. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm trying really hard to not. I went into the like hand clap making a point, but I don't want to mess up the audio. So I'm like gently clapping my hands. <laughs> yeah. Point number one. <laughs> yes. Your girl got bamboozled. Um, The way that Fuller markets itself is very deceptive, mm. um, which I'm learning is common in academia, um, particularly when it comes to graduate school onward, um, which is very interesting to me. But anyway, the way they present themselves is, is, is very deceptive and that they make it seem as though they're so, um, for lack of a better phrase, because I'm learning that this even this word even has a lot of whiteness implications attached to it, but quote unquote progressive. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, that they're just so in tune with like racial equity and social justice and look at um, all these class. We have a class on, the, the ethics of MLK and we have race and oh, I'm trying to remember Dr. Love Seacrest's um, course. Um, I think it was like race and, and revelation, or I, I could be getting it wrong, but just the point is these particular courses that they'll highlight as previously they had things set up in a package of uh, concentrations. So they had concentrations like, Oh, just peacemaking and urban um, what they call it something with like urban work and all these different things yeah. that made it seem like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do for me. My calling is very pragmatic. Like I am, I am a researcher. I'm very much so an academic and a scholar um, to the end of applying that, that that's just who I am. I'm not interested in debating how, Mary got pregnant with baby Jesus. Like, I don't really care. I'm just being honest. You know, someone else can debate that and figure that out. Yeah. Um, that's not, that's not my, my calling in election. That's not my ministry. You know, I'm focused on, there are social issues in the world. Um, God is present with us. How can we um, be faithfully present with each other in this mess? You know, how can we be led by God? Um, to ooh, just to hold it together and to move things forward until Jesus comes back. You know, that's my focus is, is the work on the ground. So looking at all these programs, I'm thinking, oh man, amazing. I can do that here. And <laughs> yeah. um, my first, literally my first week on campus, I, I wrote about this um, in an article following up the protest. Then my first week at Fuller, I see this uh, memorial sitting out, like plainly outside on the steps of one of the main buildings, because not everybody knows what Payne Hall is, but one of the main buildings. Yeah. Outside, memorial for um, numerous, numerous black lives who have been murdered by police. And I was coming out of context where I was working previously at another white seminary, a, the Seventh-day Adventist seminary, it's only, we only have one seminary called Andrews in Michigan, extremely racist, extremely racist. Oh, yeah. um, you know, but it's not, how do I say this? It, it's extremely racist, but it's like, that's the norm. Like it's a PWI, you know, it's a predominantly white institution. It claims this banner of like 
being, I think the second, technically by numbers, the second most like culturally diverse school in the country, mm-hmm. the people who are in power are white. The culture that is normative is white. Um, you know, just, I can go down the list. And so I'm coming out of that contest where I was working there and I was actually being racially harassed at my job there. And so I come to Fuller and I see this memorial service and it was like this memorial, sorry, not a service, this um, visual memorial. And I was like, oh, this is a breath of fresh air. This would never happen at the institution I just came from. You know, I'm thinking like Fuller is like light years ahead of, you know, this place I'm coming from. God knew where to take his child, you know, this right. thing. Um, and sadly, that, that, that's not the case. So um, what I learned, what I've been learning and discovering is just a very California version of racism. Um, also extremely racist, but just done in a way that is a lot more hidden and a, a lot more subtle um, and, and done in a way, basically done in a way where the institution can still save face but remain racist. Right. Um, which was very disappointing for me. It was very disappointing for me. I knew nothing about Fuller until uh, the last, like two years ago, a friend told me about Fuller. So I didn't grow up revering Fuller. I didn't grow up knowing anything about Fuller's context. Um, yeah, they, they make a lot of statements about being the best of this and the best of that. I don't know that to be true or untrue. Um, yeah. So, but just based upon the classes, the concentrations, their marketing and the visual memorial, I had a certain expectation, not of it being um, completely safe for a person of color, but I definitely anticipated that they were further along in addressing these issues. I thought they were at least holding themselves accountable (laughs) I thought they were at least being held accountable. I thought they were at least like in process of um, getting to that place of it being truly a safe space for all ethnicities and and races. And that's just not the case. It's so many cover-ups, so many excuses, um, so many manipulative tactics. I mean, gaslighting out the wazoo, gaslighting to no end um, to try to make specifically black people, because that's that's what Toxic Fuller is championing um, in solidarity with Latino and Asian, Asian American um, and 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 white people who are coming alongside and saying, you know, this is foolishness in that network of solidarity. Right now, we're championing black issues. And so I'm going to speak to that Um, to make black people feel as though, oh, you're so overreacting. Right. Goodness, this is no big deal. What are you? Or we already took care of it and it's lies upon lies and cover-ups and you know there there isn't even any there are currently no policies at fuller um no policies or protocol in place for racial harassment at all that is illegal man okay man <laughs> there are no policies one of the things that we had to include or we chose to include in um, our our most recent proposal um, that we gave to them, um, I'm trying to remember dates now, in April. Okay. Um, 
was the uh, last one that was of this of this year here april 2018 yes april 2018 thank okay. you april 2018 um one of the things that we included was the need for policies because they're not there <laughs> um there's there's no um there's just absolutely no safety net or structure for accountability. And the few little um, steps that are kind of haphazardly thrown together where somebody's told, oh yeah, just go talk to this person. Oh yeah, just go talk to that person. Um, just leads to things being looped into circles and eventually buried. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So, I mean, I mean this, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Oh, yes. I mean, number one, you're right. I mean, there is an ongoing uh, troublesome policy and just procedures that a lot of uh, universities, but particularly Christian white universities have and trying to promote and make themselves bigger diversity, diverse, uh, diversity wise. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they really are. And, you know, you are, I hear this a lot, you know, even students that come, you know, to my university here in Chicago, you know, like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. This is I wasn't told this. So, I mean, and how and how has it been being on campus, given all the work that you've done, you know, do do folks interact with you differently? Do folks give you or do folks be like, man, this is, you know, this is what's up. You're like, you know, you really you really doing it and stuff. And I don't I mean, I don't know how much longer you have and and whatnot, but, you know, I I just be curious to see like what the you know, what some of the, the, the climate is like for you, you know during this, you know, and, and then add in the, all the national stuff that's happening as well. Yes. Yes. Um, before, before I jump into that, I just wanted to take note of, um, something we're both kind of mentioning where it's like, we're talking about Fuller, but even in talking about Fuller, we're referencing other Christian white institutions and naming that this is a pattern. Yes. So, so no one institution we're naming here is an anomaly right um and and the work i'm doing right now um co-laboring in co-organizing um at fuller the hope is definitely that persons at other christian white institutions um will will feel supported in acknowledging and addressing and organizing where they're at to deal with this because this is a nationwide issue um, but yes, being at Fuller, hmm. what the climate has been like for me, um, man, it's it's been really difficult. Um, it's it's been really difficult um, in terms of, I would say, because we started meetings, and when I say we, I'm talking about um, for people who don't know this particular protest um, that occurred in June is after multiple years, about a two, two and a half year stretch of different groups of black students um, pushing for Fuller to hold itself accountable for things. And so I'm talking about this last stretch of meetings, which occurred 2018, starting in uh, February, no, starting in March. It was, it was extremely difficult, first of all, because my winter 2018 quarter was the most racist um, mm. that I'd experienced, like from my professors. It, it was it was absolutely horrid. Um, that was the quarter, the quarter that I almost left. 
Really? And what I mean, what was uh, what were some of the things I'd be curious? Like, what were some of the woo! things that just pushed you? Like, woo? Yeah. Um, just mm, the the professors. The, the 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 amount of microaggressions were just through the okay. roof. Yeah, yeah. I was experiencing for my professors, um, two of which were white male, um, one who um, who was Korean, and I believe the, the the majority of my angst and my issue was mostly with my two white male professors. I'll just put it that way. Um, and so, just the microaggressions. Um, the like justify justification of racism where, okay. you know, one of my professors, he's, you know, lecturing, what have you. And then he just felt the need to repeatedly, whenever anyone would bring up black issues that mind you were relevant to the reading. It's not as if somebody, whether it was myself or someone else was just bringing these things up because we wanted to vent or it was just on our hearts. So we just needed to get it off our chest. Like it was relevant <laughs> right. to the reading and the subject matter. And, and mind you, this is in the school of intercultural studies. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. In the school of intercultural studies and the professor, whenever a black issue would be brought up, would dismiss it, would push it aside and then would feel the need to say, well, you know, America doesn't have the corner on the market. Um, when it comes to racism, you know, I, I, I've been to Singapore and I've been to this place and I've been oh, to that Lord. place and I've been to all these other places and you should see how they treat these sorts of people. You should see how they treat those kinds of people, you know, like, are, are you, are you, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, right. Are you, are you, yeah, well, I mean, it must not be that bad because wow, America isn't the only place that's racist. So I guess, you know, golly, oh, geo pal, you know, let's just carry on. Like, what are you saying? You know? And, um, another professor, so many microaggressions. He, mm. um, he, he was constantly, um, I, I, I got a lot of the, um, being pegged as the uh angry black woman yeah that's interesting that you say that too i was looking at your your uh twitter feed too talking about uh you mentioned that with serena i mean we haven't even gotten to serena and the serena squad and you said that i hate uh that a black woman expressing reasonable emotion is considered quote-unquote meltdown and losing it you know, mm-hmm. and so anyway, I just wanted to point that out because I'm just like, that's an ongoing thing. But anyways, please continue. I'm sorry. I wanted to interject that right there. No, thank you. That that helps. Please do interject because it helps me guide what I'm sharing with you and guide my thoughts. Um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is a constant ongoing thing. Um, I. How do I say this? It, it was just so. It was, it was just so blatant. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so blatant. Um, there were even times when he would try to passive aggressively um, silence me in group discussions. Um, and then one particular time, Jeez. he sent me, um, I guess, because he felt bad. So he sent me an email when I say like, oh, you know, no hard feelings or something where he was, you, you, he, he, he was, I realized after I responded to his email based upon his interaction with me afterwards in class that he he hadn't really sent that email to have a conversation because he made it seem like he was trying to like, yeah, if there was something I did or this, that, and a third, 
which is one of the classic bait and switches of whiteness. Um, whiteness that can be weaponized by anybody, BTW, it's an ideology. Um, you know, that bait and switch of like, yeah, if there's anything I can do, if there's anything I've done, please do let me know. And so I tried to engage in a conversation and of course it went nowhere because that wasn't his intention. His intention was to clear his conscience because he wanted to make sure that, you know, the angry black woman wasn't angry with him. <laughs> oh man. Um, and Serena Williams is a, is a classic example of someone who deals with so much outrageous opposition, so much irrational opposition to the degree that even highly privileged white male um, pro tennis players are even saying, hey, I know the game and this is crazy. Like they're even stepping in and saying, no, 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 no. She's not overreacting. I even see this, you know, yeah. and in, in addressing something um, in a manner that explains, hmm, this is ridiculous because of X, Y, and Z. I don't appreciate that because of this. And because she has emotion, all of a sudden she's a monster. She's a beast. Um, there's been this horrific caricature, which is very classically racist that's been circulating around um, her being depicted like jumping up and down on a, on a tennis racket and they've like exaggerated her features to make her look like this big yes. black woman. Yes. Well, that's just what it is. And so I was just exhausted um, because I was already coming from so much racial hostility from my previous context. Um, and I was already dealing with the disappointment of realizing what Fuller actually was versus what it had presented itself to be. Um, and then on top of that, just the pileup of those two professors and their, um, their hostility towards me and black people, it was just too much on top of what is happening nationally, constantly, always, you know, the possibility of being killed. That's just real life. Like black people, we are walking around living and the constant possibility of being murdered, um, and it being justified. Um, a lot, along with so many other things that we have to juggle and a lot, man, that, I mean, and that it is a lot. I mean, you, I mean, just describing it and just being on campus on a campus like that. I mean, that's wow. I mean, well, let me, let me ask this then. So, um, you know, in the news, of course, there's the Serena Williams thing. And then you've got the whole John MacArthur, this mm -hmm. statement um, I'm sure you're familiar with. And, yeah. you know, people have been talking about that now for, for a minute. What I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> that uh, I, think, I think that's a perfect segue. because um, the, the next thing that I really wanted to highlight is that not only has it been hard because of all of those things in general. Yeah. Um, but, but what makes it additionally um, excruciating and disgusting is encountering um, perpetual racism hmm. um, in Christian context from Christians who are justifying their racism using the name of Jesus. That is the part that makes it especially painful because it's one thing to dehumanize another person because you in your mental framework, decide that they are subhuman. It's another thing to do that and to say, you know what? 
God actually said that. Like God actually right. said that right. you are less than. You know, the divine creator of the universe actually determined that you are to be treated as subhuman. And Jesus actually died for my freedom to treat you like trash. Like that that is an entirely different level of psychological and emotional abuse and and damage. Mm. And John MacArthur is no exception. Mm. He nearly what five thousand, I think it was like forty four hundred or something, um pastors that signed it. And I guarantee you the tens of thousands of more pastors that would have signed it had they had the access, had they known if they were a part of that network, you know, right. um, it's not limited to 4,400 um, pastors. There are no exception, you know? Um, and, and that is the, that is the part that really infuriates me. Um, and that really fuels me when it comes to this movement um, and addressing the toxicity at Fuller and addressing, you know, the black exodus because of the toxicity um, and acknowledging the particular unique experience of enduring this abuse at a seminary and therefore hashtag seminary while black. Um, that's what fuels me so much is, is because of how blasphemous it is. Like this is heresy. Yes. This is very clear what this is. This is heresy that has been created as a norm that has been deemed normative but it doesn't make it less heretical. It doesn't make it less blasphemous and it doesn't make it less destructive. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace to God. It's a disgrace to the kingdom and it serves no one. You know, it serves absolutely no one. Um, and seeing how my black brothers and sisters are struggling, are, are being compromised spiritually, you know, um, people's spiritual connections to Christ being made vulnerable or compromised altogether because of the racism that they've endured from Christians who are justifying their racism. It's just, it, it's just made me completely livid. Um, and I don't, and I don't apologize for that. Um, it's, it's thoroughly unacceptable. Nor should you. And Nor I think God is fuming. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, just just looking at it. And for those of you who are listening, I will post these links because I think everyone should read just the madness that is that is put out there. I mean, it's this washed down, you know, ideology around secularism and the notion that somehow the only view of God can be conservative. Now, I'm not knocking conservatives. But to single out and say this is the only way to interpret the Bible and anything outside of that is demonic or or you're against God or or whatever, whatever evil language we want to use. I just find that very problematic. I mean, because, you know, that's the whole first part of this. I mean, but it, but the, but for this to come at this specific time when black bodies are still being murdered, still being just led to the slaughter here in Chicago, we're still. On camera. On camera. I mean, you got to, you you can't even be in your own house, your own apartment. And now people thinking, oh, that's my apartment. So I gave you verbal warnings. Why weren't Mm -hmm. you paying attention in your own house? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. and then you have, I mean, here in Chicago, we're getting ready to, you know, for the Laquan McDonald uh, um, murder trial. You know, Mm -hmm. I I doubt, you know, the police officer is going to get, um, you know, um, get any charges or get any time, you know, out of that. So for this to come out at this point, 
it's just it's just like whoa them them's fighting words man that's mm-hmm. that's a <laughs> that ain't no joke so how mm-hmm. i mean how are you navigating some of this i know we've talked a little bit about you you know wanting to be an organizer and mm-hmm. and and whatnot what what does that look like what is you know moving forward what does that what does that look like for you especially being you know in los angeles yeah being in la um is has been an excellent move for me in terms of plugging into a very beautiful network of people of color who are on the ground um, doing the work of organizing activism um, has been great. Um, I had a thought and it, and it just left me um, with all the all the great things that you were pointing out. Um, but when it comes to specifically at Fuller, what it looks like is juggling a lot of things. It looks like juggling academic excellence with financial responsibilities and still getting this work done. That, that, that's what it looks like, not only for myself, but for my co-organizers, um, the, the core team that I'm a part of. Um, that includes um, Anastasia Fuentes, Tisha Hadra, Phil Allen Jr., um, Caleb Campbell, um, and uh, we had another team member. She stepped away, so I'm not sure if she wants me to mention her name. I think she would rather just kind of um, not be mentioned, but we had someone else who was wonderful that was also a part. Um, mm. And we're all juggling life and still pushing to get this done. Um, and so when it came to organizing the protest, when it came to all the meetings, negotiation meetings that we had with administration that fell on deaf ears, when it came to all of that, um, that's, that's what we've been doing. And, and so since then we've been navigating all of those responsibilities and, and pushing to rev back up for this fall, um, to really get things rolling again, because for the summer, so many professors were gone. Administration was traveling. There was just a lot of, you know, come and go, um, Fuller administration put out a statement that I'm personally not impressed by, um, I'll have a more detailed response to that along with my team. We're going to put out a, a collective response to that um, at another time, but I'm not impressed. Um, I am, how do I say this? I am very cautious. I am very cautious about applauding white people. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and, and when I say that, I'm very cautious about applauding white people when it comes to the work of white people who are being held accountable for racism. Because the white fragility is so real that if even the slightest bit of even near satisfaction is communicated, they will snap right back into that comfortable space of, oh, okay, well, then now I can just go about my business because now the angry black people aren't so angry anymore. Mm. So I can just carry on. And I, I believe that's thoroughly unacceptable. And so until the, until a significant threshold of work and strong uh, until a significant uh, threshold of work is completed and a strong momentum on the part of administration is established, you know, then I will give even a slight, like, you know what? I appreciate that. <laughs> that, that yeah. is what I will extend, but I'm, I'm very slow to the applause. 
nothing, nothing, nothing substantial has been done yet. Well, I mean, so this so this brings up, you know, a really good point about allyship and what that, you know, what that looks like in the Trump era, you know, and I say the Trump era simply because I would agree, you know, with a lot of pundits and, you know, and some scholars who have come out and said, you know, that Trump is the first white president, you know, that's, you know, that openly white president, you know, he's not, he's not holding back anything. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting to note, you know, the old saying that, you know, you can't allow the profe- the, the oppressor to uh, to define what racism is because they'll always say well we're not racist i'm not i'm not of course i'm not racist no so i think that's you know i think that's interesting especially that cartoon i had a whole discussion in class about that cartoon uh regarding serena um and just you know even how they you know how he painted naomi and uh uh, osaka in uh in there you know as a (laughs) It's just blonde yes. white woman and stuff. And so white lady. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, and then the guy, of course, was just like, oh, don't you dare bring gender. I mean, he has a history of drawing out racialized cartoons. So mm-hmm. but my point is, is that what does allyship, in your opinion, look like uh, in this in this era? If you know, if somebody considers themselves a, a progressive or what I even progress, I don't even put on that that label, just somebody who's who's a lover of social justice, of of uh, equity, uh, equality. But they're white. And, you know, what, what would that look like for you? What, how, how would you, how would you go about that or think of, think through that? It look it looks like a few different things. Um, and, and I think the specific way that it plays out depends on that person's context, their resources, um, who their network is, um, because the work of a white person who is in network with other white people who are uh, deconstructing and analyzing their whiteness and their privilege, Mm. their steps are going to look completely different from a white person who is engulfed in network that is not doing that work. And they're just kind of solo dolo out there, you know, trying to piece something together in this network that is pro Trump or a network that is at best apathetic and uh, just not even concerned about engaging. So it's going to look different depending on somebody's network. But I would say in principle, it it looks like really being brave in the face of your white fragility. Mm. That is the core. That is the core principle. You cannot be a coward. You cannot be a coward. Mm. You will be uncomfortable. You will be afraid. You will be confused. You will be many things. But you have to choose to be brave. You have to choose to go through that awkward wilderness of, man, this is so entrenched in my identity and I'm not really sure what to do here, but I'm just going to keep trying. You need that inner resolve. Um, and in doing that, there's a certain level of assertiveness that you need to, to exercise when it comes to educating yourself. Yeah. Um, not totally leaning upon people of color within your network and granted people of color who are conscious because there are many people of color who are functioning in whiteness um, and can't help you. But for people of color who can, um, just to be aware of, you know, especially black people, we're, we're doing enough work on our own. You know, we don't, we don't get to call in black. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We don't, we don't get to do that. We don't get to take a break because of, because of all the trauma and things that, that we're enduring and that we're experiencing. So just be mindful and be courteous. Ask 
and be respectful when the answer is no. You know, reassure the black people in your life. They're like, hey, I get you have a lot going on. So if this is too much for you to engage right now, just let me know. Like create that space for them to tell you no. Um, but definitely be assertive in there. There are countless book lists. There are articles you can read. There's so much that you can use to, to educate yourself. And do the best you can, because again, it depends on your network, but do the best you can to connect with other white people that are also going through this process. It's because mm. you have a um, you have a unique experience that is different than the black experience of waking up to whiteness. We're waking up to it on two different sides of it. So you need other white people, if that is at all possible and accessible to you, that are also doing the work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, man, that's good. That's good. And, you know, and I asked specifically that question just because that's probably the number one question I get asked, you know, when I go and give talks at, you know, a lot of these, you know, little progressive spaces where it's predominantly white, you know, and that's like, well, as a white person, what do I do? So that's good. I like that. That's I'm going to uh, bookmark that. And, and, okay. and, and, and <laughs> folks know. Um, I want to be conscious of our time. I mean, I could definitely, I could keep going and keep going, but I'd like to know what are, what are you reading right now? What are you, what's, what's on your mind currently or what are you writing and working? Obviously you still a student, so I I get that, but what, uh, what are some things that, you know, that's got you, got you motivated? Oh, wow. Very good question. I'm, I'm reading so many amazing things right now. Um, I'm actually reading a a sociology textbook on social change. Mm. I'm very much so, um, very much so knee deep in so many different books um, to better understand the process of social change, but particularly, particularly as it relates to anti-racism work. Um, so I'm going through um, social change. I just finished a couple of weeks ago, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Mm, yeah, yeah. I know I'm late on that, but I'm so glad I read it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, that's another book. What's another one that I'm reading? Um, currently going through a uh, book, Quiet, um, which has been uh, by Susan Kane, which has been very helpful for me because while I'm juggling school work and organizing, um, I really needed a book to remind me how to properly take care of myself as an introvert mm. while, I'm, while I'm engaging in all this leadership work and activity. So that's been a good read. Um, the Christian imagination by Willie Jennings. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Oh yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, citizen by Claudia, I believe her last name's pronounced Rankin. Um, oh, yeah. wonderful, like poetry essay type text, um, but black female experience. I, I can keep going. It's like I've been reading. A, I'm always reading a lot. I have stacks of books in my room. So no, that's. I mean, that's. Researching. I could tell. I could tell just by all the tweets. I was like, man, there's a lot of stuff in there. That's what I'm talking about. So, so my question then is, is that when's when's your book coming? When when are you gonna get oh. that book and the text out? <laughs> well, for now, um, until until the book comes, um, for now, I am publishing on Medium. Um, and I'm about to start really uh, releasing content weekly. So you can nice. follow me on Medium for now. And uh, when it's almost time for the books, plural, there you um, go. then I will I will make those announcements on, on social media. Wow. 
And yeah. so great. And so that, I mean, at least kind of my last question is how, how would you like folks to reach out to you and, and connect with you and, and all that, all that good stuff? Man, the best way to really connect with me is Twitter. Uh, I use Twitter the most out of all my social media. Excellent. For though, again, as, as always, for those of you listening, or if this is your first time, I will put these in the show notes uh, available at whitehodgepodcasts.com. Esperanza, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Oh, it's been great. We have just scratched the surface, so I would definitely get you back on. Oh, please do. I look forward to it. Digging profane faith? Yeah? Well, don't forget to check us out at whitehodgepodcast.com or on iTunes or on Stitcher or on Google Play Music. Or you know what? Wherever you find your podcast at, subscribe, like, and check us out. And wait, by the way, when you're on iTunes, drop us a review. If you liking the podcast, support us by dropping a review. Thanks so much for listening and continue on with that profane faith and religion.